Love Talk Radio. upon these, you'll see all on the thing like that. So glad to be coming to Hunter one more again from We Show, Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. This year the Queen Quet Head, Pundit Body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. So glad to still be the horses at this year radio station. Hunter Chilla know every Monday we deal right here to get upliftment to the living legacy and the pay ancestral homage. So Hunter Chilla, we're so glad to one more again. I had it's your time for do this year. And you know, every Monday, when we the join together right here, but this year's show is still sponsored by the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. We make sure that we take the time out for take a moment of silence for the one we ancestors. So this year evening, we want to take a moment of silence for your Philip Randolph and for all of the sleeping car porters and things like that. And right us, we want to take out a little moment right here, right now, for this young man here, Isaac Meyer. So let me pause together. Ashe, Ashe, Ashe. Amen. So glad that the Hunter Children have joined. We won again on Gully Geechee Rhythm Radio. You know, anytime Hunter Children can cock your teeth with me if you did in the chat this evening, I'd rather us have Hunter get it this year. After the show and thing done going on, what you want? Email we. You can always email we to g u l l g e e c o at aol dot com. Go geeko at aol dot com. And Hona can find the sponsor and thing like that at the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition at gullahgeechee dot n e t. Gullahgeechee dot n e t. So glad that Hona chilling the day of one more again. Hope Hona we had a plenty good time this year. Day live a day. Hope that Hona ain't gonna take too much of rest on live a day. Live a day, y'all should have been to work. But I know plenty of we out here on a little rest and thing like that. And that barbecue and all that kind of thing like this year. But please, hope they ain't too heavy down for Yeti to show the Satan. Because we got one we guess coming from the air that Hona ain't Yeti voice in a little while. But we got brother Kwame Shaw coming this evening for joining me from the air. Before Kwame Shaw gets you, we're going to crack we teeth a little bit, but what is your deal about? Because plenty of people are just a cat that's thing wrong. Like it's just a deal for have off. Okay, 
and no such a thing. And see plenty of time that all y'all study about when the next holiday for me get off work. I know some of y'all be wishing Halloween a kind of could be a holiday for you get off work, but there ain't no such a thing that y'all might go out there with them boo hagging thing like that, but you ain't gonna you're gonna do them after work done finish. Okay? And so this your day, we will make sure that y'all stand what been a grind on down your what been a grind on in the south and across the country a while back where hundred children first start up all of this year thing and then what we to celebrate them for even now. There's plenty of time people don't know tall tall. So we make sure all of the listeners and things what they around the world can understand anything like that when we're crack with teeth. I'll switch over this way so that all of you can definitely gain under and overstand it. And so I know many people probably wonder why. Coming from the Gullah Geechee Nation, which goes from Jacksonville, North Carolina, to Jacksonville, Florida, in states that, especially the state of South Carolina, that people look at as union busters, a place where people say, well, no, y'all don't have unions there. Why is that? And they say it's because we're, quote, a right-to-work state, end quote. I don't think it stops you from your right to work when you are in a state that has unions either. But that is why on Labor Day we take the time out here on this broadcast so that people really know the history of Labor Day as it relates to us and even our self-determination in the Gullah Geechee Nation. And many are not aware that there have been long strides here. The International Longshoremen's Union is one of the oldest continuously run black labor unions in the country, and that started in Charleston, South Kakalaki and is still going. They are great sponsors of the work that we do, especially our Gullah Geechee Nation International Music and Movement Festival. And so definitely shout out to all my folks up there at the ILA in Chucktown. We have continued this tradition along our port cities. So even in Wilmington, North Carolina, or Jacksonville, Florida, or down in Brunswick, Georgia, you'll meet up with brothers and sisters who will tell you that they are part of the ILA, the International Longshoremen's Association. But more often than not, you don't meet too many other Gullah Geechis that can then say that they are part of unions unless they're now in the entertainment industry and they have their union cards from various forms of entertainment, especially in films and music and so forth, and the live sound engineering and the like. Well, it's interesting to me when I looked today at the word self-determination once again, I looked at it before coming on the air, and saw the process by which a country determines its own statehood and forms its own allegiances and government. Allegiances are critical. And so when I say that the Longshoremen Union are great supporters, we've had them and we've had several other unions in other states, even in Florida, around in the middle, right up in the middle where all the horses are and all of that. We've had a lot of union support out of Gainesville, Florida, even, when we went to Ocala, to the schools, because there are unions that are in these four states, but people don't hear them speaking as loudly as you might hear them in a lot of other major cities and major state, bigger states than ours in terms of populations. So people think that when you come down south that every place is non-union. That is not true. We are determined to have allegiances with those that even structure unions, those that work in unions. I myself, on my first job that I had in New York City in a corporate environment, immediately became a member of the union. And I saw the benefits of having the union. But there's power in union. There's power in union whether we're talking about labor unions on Labor Day or the united efforts of a people. So within the Gullah Geechee Nation, when we talk about forming its own government, we could not have our own government and operate and efficiently without being unified. We had to be a union of people, a collaboration of people, a group of people coming together in order to establish ourselves as the Gullah Geechee Nation and have ourselves internationally recognized. So that is why we also have the respect of others who determine for themselves that they have a right to have their rights protected, and not only individually 
but collectively. And so for me, that is what unions, labor unions, truly represent. But it's been interesting over the years to come to find out a little bit more about our story here on the coast and then to find out more and more each and every Labor Day as I get ready to do this broadcast. Many of you may have watched Gullah Geechee TV, the episode of it, and we'll repost it on our Gullah Geechee Nation Facebook fan page and tweet it out at Gullah Geechee. If you're not following us yet, please do that at GU. L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E. There's no I in Geechee. At Gullah Geechee on both Instagram and on Twitter. Begin to follow us and keep up with these things. But we're going to repost the episode where we went to the marker unveiling for the Charleston Hospital Worker Strike that took place at the Medical University of South Carolina, which we do a great deal of work with. Well, many people don't realize that in 1969, yes, still when people were fighting for civil rights, that there was actually a march in Charleston where there were 400 Gullah Geechee and African-American hospital workers, most of which were women, okay, most of which were women who came to fight against race, class, and gender discrimination at what was an all-white medical college hospital and at Charleston County Hospital. Now this is the location where you have the Medical University of South Carolina. And so here it is that there was a dispute between the employers and employees that they wanted, the employees, of course, wanted to have a union. To this day, they do not have a union, okay? To this day, they do not have a union. So there have been these continued battles, these continued fights to try to have a union. We had the late Mary Moutry, who was a nurse's aide that came into this fight. She talked to someone who we greatly honor and respect, Bill Saunders, one of our elders who is still an activist in the community. You've seen many pictures of the two of us together over the years on our Gullah Geechee Nation Facebook fan page. He was a factory worker and an activist, and he became a community liaison with the local office of the Department of Health and Education and Welfare. And then there was also Isaiah Bennett, who was a veteran union organizer. They were critical leaders in this group that came together to try to negotiate with these hospitals. And so there was at one point a local 1199B that was chartered in Charleston, and Mary Moutry, who had been a nurse's aide, was elected the president. Okay, in February 1969, that union, that chartered group, tried to get formal recognition from the hospital, okay, and they were anti-union. And so their anti-union delegation voted not to recognize them. So that's what started the strike. So on March 20th of 1969, they started with the picket lines, and there were then they started with the lawsuits, injunction against limited picketing, and all this back and forth. And so all of this is just starting to really come back to people's remembrances and really being brought to light that people in the Gullah Geechee Nation, people in Charleston, fought for union rights. Way before now, way before Boeing, that a lot of people are bringing up that Boeing doesn't allow unions and Boeing's in Charleston, way before Boeing ever thought of coming to Charleston. Here it was that people were fighting for unions and they had solidarity because leaders of what then was still predominantly Gullah Geechee, the International Longshoremen's Association, came along to support them and was even ready to shut the ports of Charleston down in order to put pressure on the hospitals and those so that they would also go ahead and be fair in the negotiations. So they you know, went back and forth, and they did negotiate some things. But unfortunately, the local 1199B in Charleston folded after one year because they did not get support for their official standing. And so 
here it is that in 1996, the Department of Labor cited the Medical University of South Carolina for four violations of discrimination laws and 14 other related employment practices. And many people never talk about that, but that is still a big issue about unions and about even racial, you know, balance within many of these institutions that are major, that have been there for many, many years here in South Carolina, in particular in Charleston. Now, I thought it was very interesting, and that is why I asked Kwame Shah to come on the air tonight, because many of you have heard him on the air before, coming from All Mobile Productions, but don't know that he actually is a union delegate with 1199 SEIU, which is a health care union. And 1199 was founded in 1932. All right, I don't think Kwame was a member then, y'all, so just take it easy. If y'all say he looked good for his age, um, he wasn't a member when it started, but he is on now. And so it started in 1932 by actually a group of drugstore workers in New York City, okay, and they were trying to end drugstore discrimination against hiring black pharmacists. Now, interestingly enough, let's go back to the Civil Rights Movement. Believe it or not, Martin Luther King Jr., God bless the dead, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he said that the District 1199 organization was one of his his favorite unions, okay? And many people may not have realized that either. All of these different connections, interestingly enough, to those who are fighting for the care of the people, the health care of the people. But yet they want to improve the quality of life of the people and still seek to do that. So that's why the unions are there that were trying to demand that people in nursing homes and hospitals and state and community-based health care services got the best of coverage and care, but also the workers who are giving it should be treated fairly as well. And so I'm very happy to be able to welcome to the air tonight Kwame Shaw to talk a little bit this Labor Day about the history of 1199, the work he's doing now, and then to talk a little bit more about the history of labor unions and black folks being a part of them in America in particular, and right here even in the Gullah Geechee Nation still fighting for we self-determination. Good evening, Brother Shaw. How are to do? Uh, honey, do well. How about yourself? I do well. Glad to be here for honey and thing like that. So I know that a lot of people are familiar with you working in the sound industry, but probably are not aware of your work in the healthcare field. So when did you actually become a part of the 1199 SEIU? Well, interesting. And please don't say 1932. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um but uh, interesting how I did become involved with 1199. Um, I began work uh, in my field of, of choice, uh, as always, with uh, performing AV, audiovisual uh, video production skills, at uh, what we call the CBO, community-based organization, which at that time and still within the, the New York City Code has to be uh, up under the auspices of a hospital or, or a major health organization. So uh, it, it is a community-based organization. It is actually uh, a, a neighborhood freestanding mental health organization. Mm-hmm. And when I first started working with it, they were not unionized. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the recognition of the type of work that they were doing and recognition that mental health, just like any other health issue, is a disease, mm-hmm. you know, and should not be separated from, you know, the, the level of health care that other people get. Right. Um, once we changed affiliations with uh, hospitals, we were automatically uh, sought out and drafted into Local 1199. Interesting. So I would say this would be around um, this would be around 19, 1990, 92, that uh, uh, the particular organization that I'm with, which is now an affiliate of, of SBH Health Systems at St. Barnabas Hospital, now known as SBH Health Systems, we became uh, affiliated and contracted with the 1199 union. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Moving forward with that, and, and, and I just want to emphasize this for people, when we say union, when we say an organization that fights for the rights of workers, the union is the workers. They are the rank and file. Right. And our job is to make sure that we mobilize and organize the rank and file. So 
for that their grievances and, and you know some some are legitimate some are just gripes but even those that are gripes could be actually considered what we concern uh we call you know legitimate grievances right and we as delegates and and the organizers of certain areas that work with us as delegates we're basically just a mouthpiece mm-hmm. you know we are the ones who are speaking based upon contractual agreement on behalf of the workers Right. recognizing that what is going on, what is taking place by directors from management, uh, behavior management, uh, there are violations of union contract, which means that the 1199 SEI union has sat down with the League of Health and Hospitals, and they are also the ones who are over the community-based organizations. We have sat down with them. We have reviewed working conditions, salaries, vacations, you know, all of these things, and have come up with what we call a contractual agreement as to the guidelines as to what management can and cannot do right. and what we as workers can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. And once that is signed off as a legal and binding contract on either side of the fence, if management sees that an employee is violating you know, uh, a work directive and according to contract, they have their right to either discipline to whatever extreme, we sit, we examine that, we examine it against the contract, uh, we go through grievance hearings, and, you know, of course, if management is correct, we have to abide by the contract. Right. Most of the time, though, it's always management that's in violation of the contract. Like we just heard <laughs> exactly. in the history of what took place here. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, and that was the whole thing. After a year, unfortunately, in 1969, um, the 1199B organization that was here in South yeah. Carolina was not contracted, so that's right. why, unfortunately, they it felt dissolved. it was yeah, it is all. So um, that's basically what we do as delegates. We make sure that when there is a complaint uh, levied against management from one of our rank and file members, that we first and foremost counsel the member to please understand that there are what we call policy and procedure practices that are in a handbook that's put out by management. We will look at those policy and procedure uh, directives, and we will compare them to the contract. And even though management says, well, this is in our policy and procedure, if it is contradictory or violation of contract, contract trumps that. So we always want to make sure that the worker knows that whatever it is you bring to us, we're just not going to go up there all emotional, you know, say, oh, we think this is unfair, we have to be able to compare it to something that is written and documented to show that it is a violation. Well, see, that's one of the things that's critical when I say, again, there's power in union. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's often said here in the Gullah Geechee Nation is we do things decently and in order. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times you find people that simply do want to operate out of emotion, as you mentioned, but they don't want to go through the procedure mm-hmm. of setting a protocol that then becomes a contract and everything being in writing. People more often than not would rather say, oh, well, I spoke to them and they did this. Oh, I just spoke to them and they didn't do that. But if you have a binding contract, then there's something that you have a legal stand with. Exactly. Hence, again, when I even mention the self-determination of the Gullah Nation, most people who've ever heard me lecture or people asking me questions in interviews know that I always mention the fact that we have a constitution for the Gullah Nation. That is what we've agreed we would mm-hmm. operate under. Right. And so this thing is necessary. You cannot have a union of any kind. Again, a marriage is a union, as a contract. Mm-hmm. That's why you can't legally just walk off. You got to go before a judge. You can have a preacher marry you, but you need a judge to dissolve the marriage. So again, it's a similar situation. If you're going to dissolve the work situation, if you need to restructure the work situation, if someone's rights are not being protected in a work situation, here come your delegates that should be able to pull out what your contract is with the people that you are under the employee of and then be able to speak on behalf of you, but from paper, not just from emotion. Now, interestingly enough, talking about from paper, you know, I know we spent today in the Gullah Geechee Al-Kibulan archives, and even some of the things I've talked about already about the Charleston Hospital Worker Strike is in one of the books we put covers on the date Black right. Charlestonians and right. mm-hmm. other materials we have about that. But there was a man that I had not heard about before today, and I always learned 
learn something new every day is what they say. So I try to do that, and I continue to like to read. Unfortunately, many people don't want paper anymore because they don't want to read either. Mm-hmm. And our electronic devices, we can tweet and shortcut, and that don't take much. But, I mean, truly sit down with books and paper and read. And I'm wondering, have you ever heard this name, Kwame Isaac Myers? Uh, no, I cannot say that I have. Well, interestingly enough, and for all my listeners who haven't listened to the show in the past and weren't familiar with Labor Day before, Labor Day actually has been going on since 1887. So this being 150 years since the Reconstruction era began, that is a critical year for me to think about right here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. Since a lot of the Reconstruction era things that we'll be talking about commemorating happen right here, and in particular where we are tonight in Beaufort County, South Carolina, and where we talked about Charleston County, South Carolina, with the Freedmen's Bureaus being set up here and so forth during Reconstruction. Well, at the time that, quote, black folk were dealing with Reconstruction and trying to become landowners and coming out of bondage, out of enslavement, and still trying to, you know, gather their wits about them on how they were going to progress while others were trying to push them still back into slavery. Don't think they walked out of it in 1865 and everything was happy and everybody was singing and everything was good. no. 20 years later, 20-some years later, they're still fighting. And even now, people say we're still fighting for our rights. And hence why we have Black Lives Matter as a campaign now. Well, interestingly enough, in 1887, this holiday, as one would call it, was established by the American Labor Movement. All right, unions and labor, they organized this to, they considered a hallmark of the American landscape. Okay. But while whites were having their own labor unions, such as the National Labor Union, NLU, that started in 1869, right, and not long after the end of the Civil War and Reconstruction at its height, they weren't trying to listen to having too many black folks mm-hmm. in their union. Right. So like most things that we have, including HBCUs and so forth, then the black people decided they would start up a similar thing for them to go into. If you won't let us in yours, we'll create our own. And we unified together around these things because, again, we were still segregated. We were in our own separate groups, so what can we do for ourselves? Well, a group got invited, black ship workers, in fact, got invited to Baltimore to attend a national conference. And when they got there, there with Isaac Myers and others that were there, and Isaac Myers was actually a native of Baltimore, and he was a ship caulker by trade, they decided they would create the Colored Caulkers Trade Union Society. So for anybody who's never done boat building, if Hunter Chiller know about battle and things like that, they don't know how to talk about When you put together wood, you know, the wood is not going to automatically be waterproof. So you have to go through those seams and caulk those and so that you can try to make sure that water won't seep in the boat when you do put it in the water. So they actually had the Colors Caucus Trade Union Society that started up, and the ship workers started organizing. And so when they started organizing, then the National Labor Union, this all started while the National Labor Union's having their conference. And so it's like, oh, really? So they decided that, well, the white folks doing their thing, we're going to do our thing, and they named Myers. Isaac Myers became the first president of the Colored National Labor Union. And so even though people often talk about, excuse me, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters that was started by A. Philip Randolph, and they say it was the black union, it actually wasn't. The first black union was the Colored National Labor Union. Mm -hmm. And then the reason that many people don't realize that that union even existed is because it didn't last for two years. It went from 1869 to 1871. And so that's why a lot of people, you know, kind of fell out of the collective consciousness and memory. And so people who are still around, in fact, like I have my cousin who's 103 years old. He was a member 
of the Pullman Car Porters Union, of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, and he went all over the country. And so we have many people who are still alive they think about that union because they remember when A. Philip Randolph came around and was signing up the men who were working in 1925, you see. So a lot of people don't recall the things prior to, which, again, is why we need to read so that we can definitely know our story, okay, and so that this way we can go forward together in union under and overstanding the benefits of this fight to continue to have black people who labor in any type of capacity protected. And so we definitely salute Isaac Myers tonight, um, and I thought it was excellent to really learn about him today. You know, and so you being in the union, maybe that'll be a name y'all can bring up because I know y'all often do Black History celebrations and things like that. Well, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm looking them up right now as we've been speaking. So definitely, I'm in full agreement with that. Absolutely, and and the same with uh, you know, with the uh, BSCP, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Uh, I had a, a uh, I called him my uncle, but he was just a good friend of the family, and. Uh, at that time, that was a very powerful union because, yeah. you know, a lot of the men who were working as sleeping car porters were now literally able to save money to right. buy homes, to hold on to property throughout the country, to, to move into what was considered at that time, which is fastly disappearing now, the middle class. Right. And and it afforded them and their families to, to have better quality lives and, you know, education and so forth and not necessarily having to go into the whole integrated population to get Absolutely that done. Absolutely right. So, you know, when you stop and think about the power behind unions, uh, great sources for a lot of benefits that you can get, um, making sure that, you know, one of the benefits that we have with our union is that uh, health care. I mean, we're health care workers. We're, we're charged with the responsibility of making sure that we give quality care that we have the sensitivity that we need to give to people who are going through disease issues. Mm-hmm. Yet and still they wanted us to pay for our own health care as well when we actually put our lives on the line working around diseased people. Oh, you know, wow. well, you know, one of the main fights is that why should we have to pay for health care? Right. When we can work within our own within our own group to get the same type of health care that we, you know, offer to other folks. To other people. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So very, very powerful situation with, you know, the things that unions can fight for and can offer you. Yes. And it's interesting because you mentioned this, and it goes to some of the terminology that I've read about and that's used in regard to the Pullman Porter, service, not servitude. Mm -hmm. Service, not servitude, because many people who are in retrospect looking at things, and one of the films I again recommend, I recommend it often, is 10,000 Black Men Named George. Please go and see this Mm -hmm. movie if you can find on YouTube. Watch it all the way through. If you can find on Netflix, watch it all the way through. If you could buy it online, please get it. 10,000 Black Men Named George. And Charles Dutton stars in this film. And so I thought it was awesome to see the film and painful at the same time because these men's names were not George, but everybody got called George because they were all black force that was serving the people who came aboard the trains. But most of the people who could afford to ride in sleeping cars would be white people. So they did not take the time to concern themselves with learning the names nor paying attention to the differences in the faces. So every black man, they'd call him George. And so each one of the Pullman car porters, they'd just call him George. The man's name could be Billy, but they would call him George. And so that film, 10,000 Black Men Named George, I think is very significant. And I think that people need to examine things in a proper context. At that time, as you said, these men worked so that they could now have the type of lifestyle that could be beneficial to them, not only as individuals, but to their families. Mm -hmm. They could actually provide decent homes for their families. They could now put away and save money. They could own homes, Mm -hmm. not rent homes. Mm -hmm. And at that time, when they were around 1868 to 1968, 100 years, a century was the decade, the century of the Pullman Car Porter, okay, 
these men, when you talk about having homes, many black people built their homes straight out of pocket. Some were able to get mortgages, but rarely, because it was only usually black banks that would even loan them money. Mm -hmm. Many of you who listened all last month for Black Philanthropy Month, you continuously heard me repeat the name A.G. Gaston. Mm -hmm. And I again encourage you to read the book Black Titan about A.G. Gaston, who was in the funerary business, okay, funeral parlor director, as we would say. Mm -hmm. Now, this man taught a lot about investments in the community and who did service and how service should be done in companies, you see. And so these Pullman porters, they took pride in giving service to whomever was boarding the train. And they had at one point 20,224 men that were working as Pullman porters and trained personnel. Okay, that was the peak for the railroad in the 1920s, 20,224 of them. Many people want to stand around and they want to talk about Carnegie and people like this, and, you know, they want to talk about these folks who were in, you know, the the buddies that hung out here in the Gullah Nation on the islands mm-hmm. and, and what trains they took with all their workers on them and their servants on them, right. and they want to talk about who benefited and became multimillionaires from investments in the early railroads and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. But then we don't want to talk about who laid those railroad tracks. Right. Who were Gullah Geechee men called Gandhi dancers? We don't want to mm-hmm. talk about who then wants the tracks were laid were actually the ones helping these people aboard the train, taking their luggage on and off, mm-hmm. taking them to their their staterooms on the trains. You know, these were the Pullman uh, porters. And so definitely, you know, we as a black community as a whole, I feel owe a debt to the labor union workers who had to put up with insult and injury, mm-hmm. getting themselves renamed like they were enslaved again and all of this because people didn't respect them as men. They just looked at them as servants, you know, but they didn't think anything was wrong with service. And that was something that our elders used to teach us, that, you know, hard work ain't a kill nobody. And they just meant if you did hard work, you would benefit from it ultimately. Absolutely. It would not ruin you. And today we don't see people realizing the power in union, the power in service, the power in working together in the collective way that we've been talking about tonight, that from the 1199 workers, the ILA workers, the Pullman porters, how they work together and have power and have power, even up to now. Because when you mentioned the independence of the men and being able to save, that meant they left something to their heirs. Right. The heirs had homes, mm-hmm. cars, land that these folks bought. Right. You're, mm-hmm. you're in a position now to leave a legacy for your family. Right. And I think that's what everybody really wants to do. You know, and for those who, who might not be in a position to start their own businesses, you know, you want a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. Right. I mean that's that's you know that's that's just you know, it just makes you know sense. You put in the work, you want to be compensated, you know, properly for it. Right. And and on the workforce you don't want a hostile workforce. You don't want someone that's right. talking down to you. You don't want someone, you know, belittling you. You don't want someone harassing you, whether it's uh, verbally, physically, racially, sexually, you know, th- those are the types of things that you know, unions are put together for absolutely to make sure that you're not abused by um, those who are in the upper managerial positions. And it's interesting. We're starting to look at it, and and I believe this is something that was uh, initiated by um, not just 1199, but but other unions. Is that when you look at uh, non-union businesses where workers are making the minimum, yet the CEOs percentage of pay is astronomical. Right. Even when they leave, they get these these, these six bonuses. or seven-figure bonuses. Yeah. You know, now, you know, they're starting to look at, well, why is there such a vast, great percentage in terms of the pay of the CEO versus the pay of the workers? Right. And it's the workers who keep the businesses going. Right. Absolutely. So so that that's, that is now being looked at very, very hardly, and, and, you know, I'm sure we're about to see some changes with that even in non-union working positions. Absolutely, and it's interesting because a lot we're starting to see now, even with the National Park Service planning to do, you know, recognize truly the work of the Pullman 
borders. And one of the things I mentioned earlier, when I mentioned the century from 1868 to 1968, mm-hmm. that was not when they yet had unions, but that is when you had all of these railroad attendants and you had people of African descent doing those jobs. Right. So from the time of Reconstruction all the way to the Civil Rights Movement, these people were working. Mm-hmm. And they were the rank and file, as you have mentioned. Right. Now, a lot of people, you've heard me mention his name before. Y'all will be continue to hear me to mention his name each Labor Day with A. Philip Randolph. Let me, let me go back into how did they get formed, because it's critical what you just mentioned about these bonuses and the overpayment of, quote, unquote, the people at the top of the corporation, mm-hmm. while a lot of times that rank and file isn't getting the same level of benefits. Right. Now, one of the things I was reading in preparation for the night, and I'm going to share it with people, they said that typically the porter's tips were more than their monthly salary that they earned from the Pullman Company. Now, mm. y'all hear that the tips mm. was more than what they got for the whole month, all right? So now most of the porters had to work 400 hours a month, <laughs> 400 hours a month, and somebody could give you one tip and you make more than what they you get on a paycheck in a month? Isn't that that's, that's really off balance? And they either had to work 400 hours or 11,000 miles in a month Mm -hmm. in order to receive full pay. This is why A. Philip Randolph came along and said, we got to do something about this because for too long our people have been doing this job. They're suffering. They cannot get anywhere ahead in life under these conditions while the owners and these people who are the high-ranked, the ones that I mentioned, they became the multimillionaires that everybody talks about all the time, were making money, their family was established with multi-generational wealth. These black men were struggling to keep food on their table and money in their pocket. A. Philip Randolph himself, they said, didn't even have the money to be able to get back to his mother's funeral, okay, because he was using every dime he had to order organize the people and go all over the country. He did that for 12 years. It took 12 years of fighting the Pullman Company because they were threatening people with job loss and harassment if they joined the union and all of this. But God had it such that in 1937, y'all said, wow, that's another bad time in the 30s. That's the Great Depression. Yes, but on August 25, 1937, that is when the Pullman Porters became officially recognized as a union. So when I mention it, and y'all history buffs said, wait a minute, why did she say 1868? You know, I mentioned 1868 because 1868 was really the inception of when you started having porters mm-hmm. on the railroad. And they continued to be there, and largely was us there until the Civil Rights Movement when segregation ended. And, I mean, and then integration started. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of things, integration now started to remove those jobs from the black community because you started now having all kind of people fighting for the job that before they thought was the menial job that they'd give to the black people because they were supposed to be the lowest on the totem pole. And now also the black people who were that middle class, who were the ones with the quote-unquote disposable income, now that they'd been in the union for about 30-some years and was getting more decent salaries, started to feel as if, well, I don't have to anymore go to just a black-owned hotel. I can go to the hotel that the white people go to, too. So I can spend my disposable income when I get off this train and have a break over here in any hotel I want. But then that now depleted the black community of funds. So, again, we go back to the power of union. Mm-hmm. When we were all united in the black community, even if it was by segregation, it caused more wealth to be exchanged amongst black people. Mm-hmm. We were reading something the other evening where they actually, in fact, I know exactly what it was, all of y'all who have been listening to this show over the last month, and I mentioned to you all this book called Our Black Year by Maggie Anderson, One Family's Quest to Buy Black and America's Racially Divided Economy. In the very introduction section of this book, 
they put into words not how many times, like most times we talk about how a dollar circulates 11 times in other communities of other ethnic groups of people or races of people before it leaves out from amongst that circle of people and goes to any other group of people. Well, in this book, they decided to not only break down the amount of times around, but we also read about how many minutes it takes for the money to leave. It takes like two hours, you know, and the money is already gone out Out of the black community. community. Now, I find that utterly disgraceful. I mean, at least we wouldn't say it was two hours after integration that money left, but it did take not very long before a lot of black businesses started to close down. And now today we have still a problem because if we look at what they have couched in here, they said, here it is. They say white Anglo-Saxon, let's go back. It says that, in fact, a dollar circulates among banks, shopkeepers, and other businesses for nearly a month and Asian-American communities before that money flows out of the neighborhood. and Jewish communities, that neighborhood circulation is roughly 20 days. And in predominantly white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant communities, it is 17 days. Want to know what it is in the African-American neighborhoods? Six hours. So, okay, four more hours than I thought. Mm. Six hours, okay, a quarter of the day, and the money is gone somewhere else in somebody else's pocket, Mm -hmm. building generational wealth for another community, keeping institutions open in another community, Mm -hmm. keeping the businesses operating in another community. Mm -hmm. Now, she goes on here to write, here are a few more disturbing numbers. Less than two cents of every dollar an African-American spends in this country goes to black-owned businesses. Disgraceful. Okay. Mm-hmm. Two cents out of 100 cents. Disgraceful. Okay, so we're talking about why I titled this show tonight, The Power of Union, on Labor Day, when most of our people we know, like I said, have come from the backyard now, I hope, They've come from the front yard, the backyard, the sidewalk, the porch, the stoop, you know, barbecuing and stuff, and they're probably in there doing the dishes and putting away stuff, and God willing, have a job to go to tomorrow, a business that they're opening tomorrow. Black Philanthropy Month may have ended technically, but I still challenge my listeners, my community of people, black people in particular, but we love all the listeners mm-hmm. to always support Gullah Geechee businesses, but also to under understand why I again started this show saying the great respect I have for unions, and in particular the ILA, because of what they've done to support the Gullah Geechee Nation, and in particular our events and the black businesses that are here in the Gullah Geechee Nation over the years by allowing themselves to be in the financial position to own buildings, right? to actually build the buildings, not just for them to have office space in, but to build them large enough to have auditoriums, to actually have ballrooms mm-hmm. where the black community can have fundraisers, mm-hmm. where they can have meetings and gatherings about black economic empowerment, where we've had meetings with black politicians to call them on the carpet and say, what are you doing? to now economically empower the community. What are you doing to service the community that put you in office? Exactly. That you shouldn't just be allowed to live off the fat of the land once you get a political seat. Mm -hmm. But what is it that you bring back to the people who really finance your job as a politician? Mm -hmm. What is it that we can do collectively together Unions, grassroots people, workers, rank and file, politicians, business owners in the black community. That is why I respect the unions that have remained, quote, the colored, the black Mm -hmm. (laughs) unions, end quote, um, that continue to exist. That went past the two years that we just heard about that the first little union of the caucus went by. And I'm sure some of the caucus unions failed because 
people weren't caulking boats no more. Mm-hmm. You know, as the industrial age came on, you could get machines and stuff and have people do that work, have that done inside factories. You no longer went and got custom work done and boats made by hand. That's why boats that are made by Gullah Geechee Boatmen today cost you so much money mm-hmm. because those things are museum pieces now right. that are made by hand. But again, mm-hmm. you if you bring all these hands together, you bring all these minds together, you have a brokerage house of power. When you bring together thinking people, okay, mm-hmm. you have power there if they use their minds for how they can collectively unify right. and work. And I wanted to interject something mm-hmm. here real quick because um, right now the president of the 1199 SEIU is uh, George Gresham. And George Gresham is from uh, Meridian, Mississippi. Interesting. Okay, so now, you know, I've, I've, as you meant, I've mentioned to you before, my mother is Gullah Geechee from Mississippi. Right. And that's that's my heritage and my lineage to the Gullah Geechee Nation. Right. So um, at my next uh, Union Delegates Assembly, I'm going to make sure I'll, I pull Mr. Gresham aside and kind of get a little bit more about his background. Right. But at the same time, you know, one of the ways that, you know, the Gullah Geechees here – one of the ways that we can continue to, to uh, use grassroots organization as, as sort of a union uh, uh, combination to stay economically viable. This is an agrarian society. Yeah. So um, while I was on my way here over the weekend, I was speaking to a young man uh, on the flight. And one of the things that he was telling me about was his, his work in Ghana. And I, you know, we were talking about how in Ghana, the marketplace, the huge marketplace, the crawl, Yes. That is that is a huge marketplace. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he, he was amazed at, he said, well, you know, I didn't see that kind of thing whereas, well, you know, somebody's looking for a particular product and, you know, well, um, I have a similar product, but we don't have that here. Well, he said it's not like they wouldn't tell anybody else. Well, no, I don't have this product, but right. so-and-so over at that right. store, in fact, let me take you over there. Right. Okay? And... Now, that's one merchant working with another merchant. Absolutely. Making sure that, well, look, this person definitely wants to spend their money with us. Right. I'm not, just because he doesn't want to spend it with me, I'm not going to keep you from earning a source of income right. as well. Secondly, they, totally uh, totally separate from the government, and, and, and I kind of tie this back to the traditional kingship that they still have in Ghana, mm-hmm. is that the prices of the products are set. And they're set by the queen mother. Right. Okay. So here we go talking about the matriarch. Mm -hmm. It's set by the queen mother. No one is to sell under that so that they undercut anyone else. Right. And so you see such a small variances in prices from one stall to the next so that everybody has the opportunity, depending on the quality of the the product or, or the goods that they have, everybody has the opportunity to make a fair living. And that is something that they've come to with an agreement amongst themselves, like you would see in a union. So right. just two examples of how Again, we can see this, union. work with this within the Gullah Geechee Nation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Power in union. And it definitely does make a massive, massive difference when we work together instead of working apart, mm-hmm. when we work together to collectively bring this brain trust back together, which is why in Ghana, which is why in Nigeria, which is why in Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. which is why even from South Africa, we are reached out to from folks back in the motherland constantly to work with them because they want some of the brain trust to come back to the motherland that was taken out, right. that was extracted out back during the transatlantic slave trade. And this being Middle Passage Month here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, I would be remiss to not mention that, as well as the fact that you brought up an excellent point at an excellent time, because this is the international decade of mm-hmm. people of African descent. Yes. So I don't think that we need to go by this entire decade and not discuss black labor, mm-hmm. whether that is how black labor has been exploited by others, and then we don't realize the benefit of it in our community. And we have so many people now who have no work ethic, who want the money without the work, mm-hmm. but not realizing that, again, like our elders said, 
the hard work ain't going to kill you. That when you actually go out and labor for something, there should be a pride that you have in that, that there is something you invested in and got a return. And so even your sweat equity gave you a return. And so that then you have something that you leave as a legacy to the next generation. And I feel we need to go back to old landmark of putting in the time, the energy, putting in the labor, so that the living of folks like Isaac Myers and A. Philip Randolph, my cousin who's still here, praise God, 103 years old, okay, Deacon Robinson, that Willie Robinson is his name, if anybody's wondering, who I mentioned is the Pullman Carl Porter, Mm -hmm. that their work, their living is not in vain. That Mary Moutry, God bless the dead, her work and living was not in vain, fighting for unions. And we definitely appreciate you, Brother Kwame Shah, and the others of 1199 and the ILA here, Brother Riley and all of them, who still are yet fighting for people's rights. Because sometimes, as as uh, our late sister was a seminal in the Bahamas, Mr. Queenie said to me, she said, you know, People not know what the rights is. You walk on your rights if you don't know you have them. Mm. You know? <laughs> and so for a lot of times, that is the problem. People don't realize that they even have rights, even if they join the union. They're not reading their their pamphlets, their booklets, their, their handbooks to know what all their rights are. Right. So we definitely thank the delegates who do that because we know that's a voluntary thing. Delegates don't yes. usually get paid no we extra do not get paid. to be a delegate, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you fight for yet the quote-unquote underdog, you know. And so we thank you for still fighting a good fight and to still being a person that wants to work with unification on this side of the water and the other side of the water. And we know it seemed like you and I just got on this conversation, but I see that our time is winded up. Yeah. Did you have any other things you want to add this Labor Day for the listeners before we close out? Well, uh, even during this Labor Day, I was glad to be able to come down and help work on behalf of uh, one of the institutions here to help raise some funds for a very significant event, which we've taken place in November, Heritage Days yes. for Gullah Geechee's here. So, again, you know, during this time when most people just kind of sit back and relax, you know, I'm here, you know, working closely with you to, you know, see the successes of this. So, you know, the labor's never done. The work is never right. done, you know, and you just push on with it. So, uh, again, I appreciate being invited to, to provide services for that. I appreciate being called on to speak with you about this serious subject on the show. Thank you. Yes, and I also appreciate you putting in your volunteer hours, not <laughs> only with that event, but yeah. also with volunteer hours with the Gullah Geechee Al-Kibulan archive today. And so definitely, mm-hmm. you know, we have that archive. is the only archive in the world totally dedicated to Gullah Geechee history, heritage, and culture, and because of the support of All Mobile Productions and University of Minnesota, the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition members across the country, Chief Stephanie, who actually was installed over in West Africa herself but lives in Galveston, Texas, and others who consistently have donated to the archives and our lifetime member Malika Singleton who's right. a native Gullah Geechee who comes to our festival every year mm-hmm. is because of folks like this that we have been able to actually get the digitization equipment up and running to get the acid free boxes that we were using today and so on. Right and and just to piggyback off of that um, doing that as a volunteer and I want to say this about volunteerism a lot of times, yes, you're not getting paid, but you learn some very valuable skills. I learned a very valuable skill today. I'm I'm so glad, that, again, that you asked me to do this. And, and who knows, that skill is going to come in handy somewhere down the line in my lifetime, and, and, and if not in somebody else's lifetime, I'm definitely going to share that with them. So, folks, if you have the opportunity to volunteer, that's your opportunity to give back. Again, it's a labor that you do out of love. And at the same time, you know, even though you're not getting a dollar for it, you do get something from it, you get a deal from it. And you get, you know, you get a blessing from it. So when you can volunteer to work, do that. Right, and you get a blessing from it, and you bless the community as well. And so for all hundred children who want to come for join, we and help with the Alkid Bulan Archives and other community service-oriented activities, email us to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com, G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com. We have several 
college groups that have already emailed us. They're already preparing to be here for Gullah Geechee Volunteer Month, which happens each and every March here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, and many of which join us right here at Punta and Telna Island, where we're coming to Hona chilling from this evening and thing like that. But Hona can come for that time if Hona want to help we out right here. So we say this your liberty. Thank you, thank you. Wherever Hunter to be, glad that Hunter tune in to We Show, Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. This year the Queen Quet, head upon the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. So glad Hunter tune in this your liberty to Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. Remember the power of union. <laughs> <laughs> 